When I was growing up, Easter Sunday was my favorite Sunday of the whole year. It was a day of unmatched celebration, a party that felt larger than life, a service that felt special in a way that the other 51 Sundays didn't. In my home church on Easter Sunday, we met in our large gymnasium instead of in our dimly lit sanctuary. Rows of hard pews replaced by padded folding chairs. In that gym, decorated with Easter lilies and green velvet and hanging white drapes, our brass quartet would play. The sounds of trumpet and trombone and French horn soaring above our voices into the ceiling. Worship felt joyful and alive, just like Jesus. The Sunday after Easter, however, was always my least favorite Sunday. No more brass quartet, no more blossoming Easter lilies, no more gymnasiums. Back in the sanctuary, things just seemed to go back to normal. Normal hymns, normal organ, normal uncomfortable pews. No one ever told me that Eastertide was a whole season, that the celebration didn't have to end after just one Sunday. No one informed me that the real party was just getting started, that the real work was about to begin. In the first chapter of the book of Acts, our author tells us that after Jesus' resurrection, he returned to his disciples for a period of 40 days. After the initial shock of witnessing the risen Lord wore off, I'm sure they celebrated every single evening. I'm willing to bet that it wasn't a single Sunday that they wore their best clothes and sang as loud as they could. Acts says that Jesus showed them convincing proofs of the resurrection and continued to teach them about the kingdom of God. So this is a little bit of a jump in the narrative from our gospel text that we heard from Mark last week. We've gone from grief and alarm to a new reality of victory and joy. We've moved from the confusion of the empty tomb to the convincing proof that Jesus has, in fact, risen from the dead. The man in the white robe had told the women that Jesus was going ahead of them, and now he's with them, at their side, leading them into completely uncharted territory. This liminal period, these 40 days that Jesus remains with his disciples, is about celebration, but it is also about preparation. Jesus continues to teach his disciples because soon they will need to go from being followers to being leaders. Soon these 40 days will be over, and soon Jesus must return to heaven. But that isn't the end of the kingdom, and it certainly isn't the end of God's plan. It is just the beginning. I went down a little bit of a cabin fever rabbit hole the other day in search of the first high school musical movie. I think it was the nostalgia of everyone sharing their senior pictures on Facebook, 
plus some deep need to remember a simpler time, when the biggest drama was about a basketball star who liked to sing, rather than a worldwide pandemic. The movie opens on New Year's Eve, as Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens are forced into a karaoke duet, a song called The Start of Something New. Is it cheesy? Yes, absolutely. Did I inexplicably need to watch it and reminisce about my own high school days, which definitely did not involve Zac Efron or impromptu karaoke? Also, yes. Zach and Vanessa soon find out that the start of something new can be a little nerve-wracking. Stepping out of your comfort zone and taking a risk can be scary. And when you are brave and move in a new direction, nothing is ever the way it used to be. There's no going back to what you thought was normal. Right before Jesus' ascension to heaven, his disciples ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, Judaism is a religion of remembrance, a system of beliefs about God based on what God has done in the past. Jews know that God is a deliverer because God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Jews celebrate that God is a rescuer because God rescued his people from captivity in Babylon. Jewish rituals and festivals like Passover and Hanukkah help Jews remember that God has been active and present in the lives of his people. So when the disciples ask Jesus about the restoration of Israel, they are using this Jewish mindset looking to the past, hoping that the pattern of God's protection will continue into the future. Restoring Israel is a particular theme in Matthew's Gospel, written for a primarily Jewish audience. But the book of Acts, which is written by the author of Luke's Gospel, has a broader scope. Acts isn't written just for Jews, but for an ever-expanding circle of Jesus' followers, disciples of all nations, apostles of all tongues and all peoples. And so, Acts doesn't depict a Jesus that is necessarily interested in restoring Israel to its former glory. This Jesus isn't on a mission to bring back the days of King David or to resurrect the era of Solomon's temple. This Jesus' goal is not to make Israel great again. His vision is bigger and more expansive and more inclusive than that. Jesus is calling his disciples to the start of something new, a new season of ministry, a new way of thinking that looks forward instead of looking back. Jesus says to them, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now this is certainly new. The language of being baptized by the Holy Spirit is a new kind of baptism, a language that we haven't heard before, 
Jesus continues in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The disciples are not only witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, they will be his witnesses all over the earth. Something new is happening in God's kingdom. The kingdom itself is shifting and growing because this is God's chosen time, a truly Kairos moment. At my Jesuit university, there was a special retreat called Kairos, led by priests and mentors that were upperclassmen. And freshmen and sophomores entered a lottery to be able to attend. Getting picked by the Kairos lottery was a holy grail moment for most of my classmates. You were given a weekend date and then whisked away to a retreat center somewhere north of Boston. I don't know many of the details beyond that because anyone who went on Kairos wasn't supposed to talk about it. It was a lot like Fight Club in that way. They said it was transformative, but that you'd have to experience it for yourself. In this Kairos moment in the book of Acts, the disciples watch Jesus be lifted up into the clouds. They stare at the sky, not quite knowing what to do. And these two men appear to them and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? I love this moment because in Greek, this basically comes across as a rebuke rather than a gentle question. It should read more like, why are you just standing there? What are you waiting for? The whole world needs to know about Jesus and the only way they can experience him for themselves is if you get out there and get busy. This Kairos moment cannot be kept a secret. It is too big too life-changing, and too important to keep to themselves. It is too transformative to just return to the city and pretend like everything is normal. As we'll see as we continue to read the book of Acts in the coming weeks, this truly is the start of something new. The moment when followers grow into leaders when disciples become apostles baptized by the Holy Spirit, when a movement of witnesses shares the good news with people of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. God is doing a new thing. I happen to think that this is very good news for us to hear right now. As our own church and the body of Christ worldwide, are in a Kairos moment, too. As we've moved our services online, and as so much of our life together has begun to take a different shape, I understand if this time has been difficult for you. I understand if you feel unmoored from the ways of worshiping that bring meaning to your life. I understand if you feel untethered from the rituals that have shaped both our collective and your individual pasts. I very much missed celebrating Easter with you in our gorgeous sanctuary 
surrounded by flowers, with the sound of brass instruments rising to the dome. We had to postpone our prayer partner breakfast, a beautiful tradition that honors the intergenerational relationships that make our community so special. I know that it has been tough to do things in a new way. I know it has been a challenge to figure out new technologies. I know it has been different to sing hymns in your own homes instead of together. I know it has been sad not to share the same communion and lunch tables. I also want to encourage us, though, because this first chapter of Acts shows us that Jesus himself leads us and sends us out to do new things. Jesus himself invites all of us into an ever-shifting, ever-growing kingdom. A kingdom that will always look different in the future, because it is never supposed to be static. In this time, our new ways of doing ministry, our new ways of doing our mission work in this neighborhood, they have been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. They may not feel familiar, but we are part of this vision that looks to the horizon and is part of something big, something life-changing, and something important. We have a chair and a vice chair that are leading congregational meetings over Zoom, showing us new ways of leadership. Thank you, Brian and Carl, for your good and faithful work. We have a council that is investing in new ways of living out our values of proclaim, nurture, serve, and equip. Thank you, council members, for guiding us in this way. We have volunteers and staff coming up with innovative ways of caring for our homeless neighbors who visit us every week for Breakfast Club. Thank you for inviting us into new ways of service. We have Zoom prayer gatherings and Bible studies and kids club and coffee hours. All of these are opportunities for us to live into new ways of being the church in this unpredictable time. We follow a dynamic God in a dynamic kingdom. And I'm so proud that the mission and ministry of this church has risen to the challenge of this dynamic moment, meeting new needs, leading the way into uncharted territory. But many of us are still yearning for normal Many of us wish and pray for the return of our routines, our school and work schedules, the comfort of our lives the way they used to be. In many moments these past few weeks, I have heard myself say and pray that I can't wait for things to go back the way they were. But before we all come together again and worship in unison in our pews, I think this narrative from Acts is inviting us to consider how we are moving forward, rather than just looking back. Pastor Dave Hollis writes, In the rush to return to normal, let's use this time to consider which parts of normal 
are worth rushing back to. We can certainly look forward to kids returning to school and the ability to play at the park and the joy of eating at our favorite restaurants. I think it's good and healthy for us to be eager to worship in our sanctuary and to sing our favorite hymns and to share in the traditions that make our community so beautiful. But the disciples don't return to Jerusalem and go back to their previous lives. They don't pack up and move back to Galilee and resume their jobs as fishermen. Because nothing is the same after witnessing resurrection. Their faith will never be normal again. Resurrection is the start of something new. It transforms everything it touches. And so, my friends, this Eastertide is a season of celebration and a season of preparation. It is about looking to the horizon with purpose and with hope. Let's move forward, knowing that Jesus is the one who returns to us and sends us out as witnesses to the good news that the whole world needs to hear. Amen.